Good morning, everybody. This morning, I will let you know before we get started, I will be starting in Matthew 7, and then we'll move over to Philippians 1 and 2 Corinthians 5. Let's get into this word. have uh, Matthew 7, verse 13. This is a scripture Pastor Chad used not long ago, and uh, we're going to get into it. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That's Jesus saying that. And he points out first that there's this wide road, and a wide gate, a broad road, that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. And it, it tells you that there's a whole lot following that same path, and there's a whole lot that that look the same. They're going to the same place. And, but small is that one gate, which we know that gate is Jesus Christ, and it's the only way we make it to heaven. We know without a doubt Jesus is the only way. And narrow the road that leads to life. And that road is what following Jesus Christ, and it's narrow. And I think sometimes in our, in our path of following Christ, we end up going down a road that may not be narrow. It may just be where everybody else is going. It may look like we're, we're heading the right way, but we forget to, to make sure we're on that right path. We forget to forget who we're following. Because it says only a few find it. That's an important word for the church. Because we hear all the time different prophetic words. We hear different people telling us things. I cannot go a week with not, without having somebody share with me seven, eight, nine, ten different prophetic words from people I don't even know. There's so many messages out there that uh, may not be leading us where we need to be at. And uh, so I want to just figure out how we get to that narrow place. I want to, I just want to make sure we are where we need to be. So uh, further on, if you continue into that on ver uh, verse 15, which I know they separate them, but this was all one teaching by Jesus, so we can continue on through that. And it says, watch out for false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are uh, ferocious wolves. And I'm going to stop there for a second because I think we have to be we have to be on guard for that, right? We have to remember that there are people who look like they have our best interest. There are people who look like they're they're following Christ. But inwardly, they have their own desires. They have their own, their own thoughts. They have. They aren't being led by Christ. They're being led by somebody else. And and that ferocious wolf sometimes throws us off because we think like, oh man, they're going to tear us apart. But we don't realize that they look just like us. And we got to understand that even a wolf doesn't just jump out and attack. A wolf is strategic in its, in its plans. It's strategic in what it's doing. And we got to be. Understanding that whenever people are in our sheep's clothing, we won't always recognize it. So we've got to be careful who we watch and who we follow. 
It says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear a bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by the fruit you will recognize them. And uh, that's how I realize who I'm going to listen to. That's how I realize whose words I'm going to uh, allow to affect me. I'm going to look at their fruit. So whenever somebody starts sharing things with me or somebody starts teaching me uh, their thoughts or somebody's like, you know, I heard this or I heard that, I have to quickly stop. And the first thing I ever do is I say, does that line up with Scripture? And oftentimes we don't do that because it's a word that sounds appealing to us. It's a word that we think is right. And when I say make sure it lines up with Scripture, I will tell you one of the things you have to watch is I could take any scripture out of context to prove something, to try to prove some uh, message I have on my own. So if I'm not actually teaching scripture and it's not actually in line with scripture, you need to make sure because, I, like I said, I can take anything. I can, I can make you think it's okay to drink alcohol. I can make you think it's okay for abortion. I can make you think it's okay for homosexuality. I can do all these things by twisting scripture that isn't actually biblical. It's taken out of context. So we have to be careful uh, with who we listen to, who we follow. And it says we'll know by their fruit. So many people that we listen to, they have an agenda. We have to remember, everybody has an agenda. I have an agenda today. I'm sharing a word. My agenda is, is that we would become closer to Christ. My agenda is that the gospel would be spread. Everybody has an agenda. We hear all the time, doctors, Online, on TV, every one of them has an opinion about coronavirus. Every one of them has an agenda. Either they, let's say one doctor treated 10 people and none of them had it serious. They were all asymptomatic. That doctor is going to come out and tell you it's not that bad. But there may be another doctor who treated 10 people and five of them died. And they're going to be like, ooh, it is rough. Right? So then we got to start looking at different things. Hey, they all have an agenda. And I'm not saying... One is right or one is wrong. But we have to make sure we're looking at the truth. And everybody has an agenda. I appreciate our pastor. Our pastor's calling out uh, lies over and over and over. And he wants to present truth. And uh, I trust him. I trust him because I can see biblically. I trust him because I see the fruit of his labor. And I trust him because I've been in the prayer room with him as he's receiving some of this stuff. So you have to be careful who you're listening to and what their agenda is. If somebody's agenda is to lead you towards Christ and truth, that's a good agenda. Okay? Uh, Philippians 1, we're going to go there. We see Paul and he's in prison. If there's anybody we should listen to, uh, it's Paul. Because Paul went through it. Paul followed Jesus. Paul had encounters with Jesus, and we're going to get into that in a minute. He had an encounter with Jesus, and it changed him. And I'm going to tell you, you cannot have an encounter with Jesus Christ without your life changing. It is impossible. It cannot happen. So in Philippians 1, verse 9, it said, And this is my prayer, that you lo your love may abound more and more in knowledge 
and depth of insight. Now that's an important scripture. It, uh, and I went all the way back to 9 for this exact scripture. It said, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And I talked a few weeks ago myself about love and how that love should show for God and for people. But it says it should grow, should abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And uh, it, you cannot love without having the knowledge of who you're loving and how you're loving and that insight. This very word knowledge, actually, uh, the word is epignosis, which means precise and correct love. The knowledge of uh, things ethical and divine, right? Epi being on or fitting, but gnosis means knowledge gained through first-hand relationships. So this is the kind of knowledge you can only get from knowing the person the knowledge is coming from. So, like, if you're married, you have knowledge of your spouse that other people don't have. If I'm watching somebody on TV, I may not have knowledge of who they are. All I have is little small amounts of knowledge, but the closer I get to somebody, the more and more knowledge and insight I'll get about that person. And that's what this is talking about with love. It's talking about our love and grows and our knowledge from being closer and closer to Jesus Christ, to God. And that's where our knowledge comes from. It comes from Scripture, comes from prayer, and even being in the presence of God. If we have a true relationship with God, we will get knowledge. It comes. And that's the only way it comes. So I, I want you to remember that. This is what Paul is praying right now, is that as you get closer to God, your love will abound. Verse 10 says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And I've shared this up here before that our prayer team often prays for, for the fact that uh, we don't want just what's good, we want what's best. And good can be the enemy of what's best. We can go out and we'll be like, oh, that's good, that's good. But it doesn't matter how good something is if it's not from God or if it's not what God has planned for you, that's what's best. You know, you can take two good things on a good day, and it still ain't as good as what's best from God on a bad day. And God, God knows what's best, and if we're not with Him, we're not being led by God, and we're not listening to His Word, then it's not good and it's not best. So we need to make sure we're in that said, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now when we get into verse 12, Paul says this. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul went through it. Paul... We think we go through stuff, and Paul's sitting here in prison. I don't know if you you ever looked at like what a prison looked like in that time period of where where Paul would have been locked out, but it actually would have been like a dungeon-like cave area. It would have been dark. There would have been a hole in the ground that you go to the bathroom in. It would have smelled. There would have been no bathing. It's nothing like our prison now. It was a uh, like a cesspool. And more often than not, the way it would happen, there would be wooden uh, planks 
on the ground and your legs would be shackled into those planks and you couldn't even get up. You usually were sitting there all day long unless it was time to go to the bathroom or whatnot and you just sat there in misery in a dark, wet, cold place with other people who were probably not there for preaching the gospel as much as for murder and everything else. And Paul is sitting in that situation And he says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Does what happened to us actually, is it actually used to advance the gospel? The things we go through when we're at work and and we may not get the promotion or whenever somebody's treating us wrong or whenever society seems to be shut down by coronavirus, Are we using those things to advance the gospel? Is our life set up to advance the gospel, or do we sit around and complain about it, or point out why it's wrong, or or try to get our point across and advance our opinions, how it affects us? Are Are we selfishly trying to advance something, or are we always trying to advance who Jesus Christ is? Are we always trying to advance the gospel? And we have to be careful of that because as Christians, we have Scripture and we see what's right and wrong. But if you're going to point out what's wrong, it better be for the gospel. And we are called to do that. I want you to understand that. Because we're called to spread truth, which means we're also called to bring light to what's lies and what's false. But it has to be for the gospel. And he goes on and he says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in change for Christ. If we're doing it, people will recognize it. Right? If I'm out pointing out something or I'm doing something, I'm in a rough spot, people should know that, wow, even though he's here, he's all about Christ. People should always see Christ and us proclaiming Christ no matter what we're doing where we're at, if we're at work, if we're going through a hard time. Have you ever seen somebody who's dying? They have cancer or some kind of terminal illness, and all they keep talking about is how good God is. Man, I love Jesus. He's going to get me through this. And then you sit back and you're like, how do they do that? It's because they're right here where Paul's at. They're trying to advance the gospel. They, they have their focus on Jesus. They're, they're going down that narrow path instead of the wide path that everybody else is going down of destruction. And we have to make sure we're in that narrow path and our whole life, even our struggles, are focused on Jesus Christ. He said, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That one hits me. That one hits me hard because I have to make sure my life is being lived in a way that it helps other people have confidence in Jesus. Right? Not just to strike fear in their minds or not to just let them know they're living wrong or not even to let them know that I'm a a follower of Christ, but instead to give them confidence in who Jesus is. That's how I should live my life. Like I can tell you all day long, what Scripture says, but if I'm not living it out, if my life is not dedicated to Jesus Christ, it doesn't really matter what I say because other people are going to follow the fruit of what I have instead of what I say. And uh, 
Just like Jesus said, they're going to know us by our fruit. So everybody should notice that. That's how we're going to live our lives. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And there, there you go. A lot of people are using Christ's name for the wrong reasons. We're not going to be one of them. In fact, actually, we should always be doing that very thing. We preach it out of goodwill. It should actually be for salvation and building the kingdom and because we care about other people's souls. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Sometimes we get distracted by people's motives. If Christ is being preached, don't get distracted by that. But let them see the fruit in you that is good. They'll figure the rest out. And it says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that, you're, uh, that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I'm going to reread that. Just the end there, it says, I know that through your prayers and God's provisions, not through man's provisions, not through what I'm going to do, but through God's provisions of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. What I'm going through will be for my good. I will be delivered from whatever it is because of Jesus Christ, not because of me. It's going to be because of God. Right? So if I'm following Christ and I'm doing everything God's called me to do, and I'm being led down the right path, He'll take care of the rest. That doesn't mean you don't have to go down that right path and still follow where he's taking you. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. I definitely don't want to be ashamed. Then he goes on and he says, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. This is how this word came to me, because one day I was driving down a road a few weeks ago, and this, this just hit me. It said, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. And, and God just told me that too many Christians aren't living that way. It's a trendy thing to say, and there's songs about it, and we sing it, and we, we're like, oh, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the way I'm going to live my life. But what God showed me was most of us are, it's for me to live is gain, to die is Christ. And that just sounds like, oh, that's a trendy switch on words, but it really isn't. Do we live our lives with Christ at the forefront? Do we live everything we do? Is it all about Jesus Christ? When you're at work, is it more about, man, I need to get promoted so I can make more money? Are you there? Like, I want to bring honor to Jesus Christ while I'm here. I'm going to trust Jesus while I'm here. Maybe he has somebody here I can... I can share the gospel with, right? Maybe you get off work and it's like, I just want to get home and rest instead of saying, Jesus, what am I going to do? What do you want me to do? Are you living your life for Jesus Christ? Not so you can see Jesus Christ when you die, but are you living right now in relationship 
with Jesus Christ? Is your life devoted to Jesus? A lot of us are living so when we die we get to see Jesus. But that wasn't how Paul lived. Paul lived to see Jesus now in himself and in others and spread the gospel. His whole life was devoted to Jesus, but when he died, he knew that was going to come whole. Right? Because now we see in part, but when I die, I will see in whole. And he knew that when he died, it would be better for him. Well, I'm going to let him say it. In verse 22, he says, If I am going... If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which I think we all would rather be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Is it beneficial for other people that we are here? Are you living your life that it's better for other people that you're here to help guide them towards Christ? That's what Paul's saying. It's better for me to stay here and show you about Christ and live for Christ, but it's better for me to die and go to Christ. And I want to live in a way that that I leave a legacy, that I leave an impact when people I come in contact with, it's actually beneficial for them. For Christ. That's how I want to live my life. I don't want to live my life telling people that one day I'm going to heaven and it's going to be great. Instead, I'd rather them see Christ in my life and I would be able to impact them. So I want you to think of that as, is it better for me to remain? I need to get to that point where I'm living my life that it's better for other people around me when I come around. Not that, oh, no, here comes that guy again. Not, oh, man, this person always comes around preaching stuff I don't understand. Instead, they need to say, man, I really love when that person's around. Something is different about them. That's the kind of person I want to be like. And that's the way Paul lived. says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress in the joy of in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what happens. It doesn't matter if church shut down. It doesn't matter if you, you get fired. It doesn't matter if you lose your business. It doesn't matter that if you're, you're struggling or you just had an argument with your spouse or your kids are running crazy. You still conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Then whenever I come and see you and only hear about you in the... In, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in that one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, 
and that by God. All these scriptures keep telling us we live in a way that shows other people Christ. Our fruit will show other people Christ. Everything we do should be living for Christ in all we do. It says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So it is easy when blessings are coming in to say, Oh, praise God, He is so good to me. It's not so easy when times are hard, but that's the time that people need to see it most. Even those who are not saved are joyful whenever good things are happening. But as Christians, we should be living in the joy of Christ, even in bad things, because we know where we're going. And I, I talked about Paul having the, the encounter with Jesus Christ that completely changed his life. And uh, I heard this pastor share this very story. It's, a, it's an example. It wasn't true, but he's talking about how if he would have showed up late to church that day, and everybody's like, where have you been? Where have you been? Where have you been? And he said, oh, on my way here, I got a flat tire, and I was changing the tire, and I got it changed, and I, I dropped the lug nut, and it rolled out into the road. So I walked out into the road to grab the lug nut, and when I looked up, this gigantic semi was coming straight towards me, and he was going fast, and then he just hit me. We had this great encounter. He just, pow, hit me. And I got up, and I put the lug nut back on, and I drove here, and I was late because of that reason. And everybody in the church would have said, you sure don't look like you got hit by a truck. I don't see any encounter like that on you. Right? Because if a gigantic truck hits us, it's going to show. And his theory in that, his, his reasoning for that is, is how much bigger is the Son of God? And if we have an encounter with Jesus Christ, it should show even more than an encounter with a semi. Something should change. With Paul, we saw that change. He went from murdering Christians to trusting in Jesus. When Paul had that encounter, it was instant. And that should be the same for us. If we truly have an encounter with Jesus Christ, it should change us immediately. We should begin living as if we had an encounter of Jesus Christ. People shouldn't have to try to figure it out. Did he get hit by a bus? Did he get hit by a truck? Did he have an encounter with Jesus? Who's he really follow? People should not have to figure out who you're following. They should know because you had that encounter. I'm going to end this with 2 Corinthians 5. It's going to start in verse 16, and it says, From now on... We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So if we're in Christ, we're completely new, not who we used to be. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the worship team can come up. We're the ambassadors of Christ, so if I'm the ambassador of America and I get sent to China and all I'm worried about is China and I'm living as if all that matters is China and I'm not representing America, they would quickly take me away as an ambassador of America into China because I would not be living in a way that benefited America. Same thing as being ambassadors of Christ. We should be living in a way that we're representing Christ everywhere we go. We should be representing the righteousness of God. We should be walking in the righteousness Jesus gave us. We should be every moment of the day that representation. If I go to China, people will quickly know I'm American. Everything I will say, the way I act, everything I do will point out he's American. And trust me, I've been all over the world. And everywhere I go, no one ever confuses me with a German They never confuse me with an Italian. They never confuse me with anybody other than saying, you're American. Instantly, they recognize it. I don't have to tell them. Right when I step in, first they notice I look different, and then when I speak, they're like, he is different. He is 100% American. I know I've seen it over and over again. And that same thing should happen when I walk anywhere in America. People should say, hey, he's a Christian. He's been impacted by Christ. I can tell it by the way he talks and the way he looks and what he does. You can't hide being an American, so you shouldn't be able to hide your faith. And if we're not naturally living that out, and it's a huge effort to do that, we really need to work on it, and it needs to become a lifestyle that wherever we go, without even having to put an effort in, we're so close to Jesus, people see it. And I know Pastor Chad's going to speak more and more on truth, and I I sure hope he does, because we need to be standing on a side of truth, and all that should be leading us to follow Christ, to show who Christ is, and it completely changes. So I want to pray, and a worship team will close us out in in a worship song. But if you're at home, I hope you're praying. I hope this, I hope you were able to pay attention and this this sunk in. But I'm going to pray for you. If you need prayer, you can get on your knees, bow down, however you need to. And I'm going to pray with you. I really am. And if you need more prayer on this, contact Pastor Chad or myself, one of the elders, a leader, a friend, somebody you can trust. Somebody who's walking down that narrow path is who you need in these moments. And the scripture says it's few, so make sure you're watching that. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that you uh, you walked that path, Lord. Holy and righteous, completely perfect. Not an ounce of sin in you, Lord. You walked it. And you showed us what that path looks like. You showed us. You showed us how we should live. 
You died on the cross for our sins, Lord, so we can walk that path with you. So God, I pray that you would help us focus more on you. Help us be more impacted by your words, Lord, from your presence than we are for the things around us, God. Help us look more like you and less like this world. God, I want to be the type of Christian who, for me to live, it is Christ, God. That I'm not living my life to gain things in this world. Your scripture says, what is a profit of man to gain the world but lose his soul, God? And I don't want to lose my soul. We want to be the type of Christians, God, who are living 100% for you. And that when we die, we gain complete wholeness with you, God. Help us in that. Those who are at home, Lord, I pray you answer their prayers, God. Meet them right where they're at, Lord. We don't have to be at this altar necessarily, God. We can make an altar where we're at. We're making altars, Lord. We're praying to you. We're asking you to just break in and to help us. Show us those places in our lives, Lord, that we're not living for you. Show us those places in our lives, God, where people don't see who you are, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would make us ambassadors. That wherever I go, people will quickly see you. And they know that I am sent by you. A representation of what you want to speak. A representation of what you want people to see. Let us be those type of people, God. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. Even in these hard times, Lord. Make your presence known. Use us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.